0: behind the headlines on WLIW This is our weekly roundtable where we bring together award winning journalists from all over the East End for a little bit of a deeper dive into the week's local news. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. We publish the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express and the website 27east.com. With me is my co-host Bill Sutton. He is the managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill.
1: Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. We have our A-team panel this week.
0: Uh, Denise Civiletti, who is the editor of Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise. Good morning. Good to have you. Uh, Christine Sampson, who is the deputy managing editor of the East Hampton Star. Good morning, Chrissy. Hello. Good to have you. And uh, Beth Young, who's editor of the East End Beacon. Hey, Beth. Yeah. Great to have you here, too. So uh, let's dive in, Denise, with uh, your story this week about the Enterprise Park up around Riverhead, there is a new development, correct? Uh,
2: well, I mean, it's a new development, but it's been percolating for a, a month or so. Um, the The town has authorized the transfer of virtually all of its holdings or pretty much all of its land holdings within the Enterprise Park at Calverton. And that's, as uh, most people know, the uh, former uh, Grumman site that was owned by the Navy and uh, transferred to the town for a dollar in, like, 1998, I think, for economic development.
0: Big piece of property, right?
2: Pardon me. It's, uh, it was originally 2,900 acres. Uh, the town sold the 500-acre uh, developed portion of it that uh, everybody calls the industrial core, the one with, like, when you drive by and you see those buildings and stuff um, from 25 Uh and they sold that uh, to a developer uh, back in the early 2000s. I think it actually closed in 2001 or something like that. Um, I get these these dates, or I actually have a document of like you know, EpCal dates because I've been covering it since then actually. But um, so anyhow, uh, the town in uh, 2018 entered into a contract with an affiliate of uh, the Triple Five Group, uh, which is the developer of uh, mega malls that we all know and love, like uh, the mall of America and mm-hmm. the West Edmonton mall, the two largest mall retail malls in, in North America. And they are in the process of finishing a mall um, that was originally called Xanadu uh, over in the Meadowlands in New Jersey. <laughs> uh, and it's now called the American dream, but that's been l- I like delayed, the and delayed. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it is um, and then COVID hit when they were about to open a portion of it. So uh, that's, you know, they've taken a real hit with that development. They've lost a significant amount of money. They had to put up their their like, interests in, in the, their two biggest assets to guarantee uh, lenders for, you know, their, for that mall. It's been, you know, a saga. So the town's been in this contract since November 2018 with an affiliate of this company. And meanwhile, they were supposed to, the town was supposed to subdivide the land and sell 1,644 acres to this affiliate called the CAT, Calverton Aviation and Technology. And um, that that subdivision has just been hung up. Uh, It's been like kind of one thing after another with the state DEC which has to issue in order for the subdivision to be finalized, has to issue a um, a couple of permits. But the town is in trouble with the DEC over uh, water infrastructure issues, um, namely extensions that were built over time without DEC uh, permits. And uh, there's a consent order dating back to 2009. It's a real tangle. And the DEC says, all right, now you want this from us. You've got to make all this other stuff right and prove that you can serve this development with public water before we'll issue you these other permits that really at this moment have nothing to do with public water, but they've you know they got a hook. So you're, they're using it. And that led to a lawsuit. It's just been like one big, long saga. <laughs> it uh, really has, hasn't it? It's yeah, been going I, on I for can't it. even, I got, you know, uh, but I said, get the gong ready if you got me talking about this, but anyway. <laughs> So, so we got bottom the line is that you know while the towns have been long delayed in getting the subdivision approved and closing this deal, that a lot of people think is like a ridiculous deal because forty million dollars for sixteen hundred and forty four vacant industrially zoned land in on Long Island is a pretty good price, um, and um, it's actually per, it's like twenty four thousand per acre, twenty four something which is extremely low, actually. And, no joking. And
0: can I ask you, Denise, what, what is the proposal for there? What do they want to use the acreage for? What What's the plan?
2: Uh, industrial development. They have been talking about bringing, you know, aerospace technology companies, et cetera, back to Calperton, because, you know, that's everybody's dream. We want to replace Grumman. And um, you know, bring those kinds of high-tech jobs, et cetera. The, the plans have, frankly, been pretty vague. And mm. they, this company, doesn't it didn't do a lot to um, assuage people's. It, that, am I saying that right? Fears about um, about what they're actually going to do there. Like that, nobody really completed that. Was the contract of sale has something called an intended development plan described in it that requires them to build a million square feet of industrial slash commercial space within a period of time after taking title. But the deal hasn't closed. It cannot close without the DEC's permit, because without that, we can't do the subdivision. So without the subdivision, we can't sell the land. And as this is dragging on and on, Triple Five has run into a lot of, let's say interesting financial situations. that have been widely reported in the business press, like, uh, you know, the Wall Street Journal and other other um, major major media outlets like that. Um, and, um, you know, people are saying, you gotta pull the plug, people in the community have been saying, you gotta pull the plug on this deal. These people, they, you know, we don't know what they're gonna do anyway. And they're having all this trouble, this financial trouble, et cetera. But the town has remained in this contract, even though theoretically there's an escape clause that they could, pull, you know, get, get out of it. Um, I think they recognize that that would come with a great deal of uh, consequence in terms of litigation and things like that.
0: Seems, so, seems, like, seems like kind of a sunk cost fallacy kind of thing. They've been involved for so long, you may as well just follow it out till the end, right?
2: Well, so now that brings us to the current thing. <laughs> and that is- Here's that, the news. <laughs> here's the news. That was the prologue. I asked this prologue, but- um, The the uh, town and the purchaser cat have worked out an agreement whereby I'm sorry, my scanner is chirping here, whereby I apologize, the um, the town will transfer the the remaining 2100 acres that it still owns there. um, 1644 of which is supposed to is the subject of the contract of sale with cat The town's going to transfer 2,100 acres to the Riverhead Industrial Development Agency. And the town and CAT will make a joint application to the IDA for um, IDA benefits for CAT to induce the redevelopment of that site. Property tax breaks, sales tax, mortgage recording tax, all that sort of stuff. So... They're going to make that application together, and then that's got to be completed within six months. And the IBA then will do its vetting of CAT to ensure that they have the money and the and to close and to do the project as it is envisioned. Kind of, I have to add, like whatever that might really be, uh, you know, but to do this. To do a, pro- a project that's going to bring jobs and benefit the town, tax base, et cetera, in the future.
1: And and the so, thinking is that this then just sidesteps the whole town versus DEC. Um,
2: well, uh, you know. I, so part of this deal is that if if what what will happen then is if the Ida finds that this that they they, they deserve, you know, that they meet the threshold, they meet the requirements they go through the vetting process and they approve the benefits application. At that point in time, CAT will pay the balance due the town under the contract, which is like at this point, like $39 million plus adjustments or whatever. And the um, CAT will then proceed to attempt to get the subdivision approved. And um, the town will sit and wait. And when the subdivision is approved, if it is approved, The IBA will transfer the town's the property that the town's not selling to CAT, which is like a recreational park, other public purpose uh, parcels in the in the enterprise park there, and um, so the town will get its public purpose properties back. CAT will get its 1,644 acres, 1,000 of which are supposed to remain. Undeveloped because they're environmentally sensitive, and um, that that was the t- arrangement the town had previously worked out with the DEC. And then, you know, it's a, it's a done deal. In the event that the IDA says oh, these folks are not credit worthy or can don't did not establish that they can do this project, then the town at that point can it may pass a resolution canceling the deal.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Chris, I think Chrissy, Chrissy had a question here. She, <laughs> I think she wants to jump in.
3: Yeah, um, Denise, you, you, you I think you started answering the question that was in my head. Um, I want to I'm fascinated by Riverhead right now because there's so much happening. And um, what is the what are the implications for the people? Like, will there be pilot payments to the school district of some sort or, you know, well, housing or anything nearby amenities or impact on the people?
0: I mean jobs is a big part of it right I mean, is that's big is a of big part of it
3: there there will
2: be pilot payments the, the the um the Riverhead Industrial development agency always works out a pilot agreement with um, the developer with the applicant, and it, that usually entails um, a period of increasing um, payments in lieu of taxes over a period of time as the tax breaks um, reduce like it's usually. Uh, 20 year, you know, a 20 year arrangement for these and uh, benefits that the IBA gives for property taxes, but there are pilot payments. They, the um, property taxes, the, the property will, once it's transferred to a private entity, the property automatically immediately goes back on the tax rolls. And so the the value of the vacant land from a tax assessment per, uh, uh, point of view is, will, will be, um, you know, added to the tax roll uh so there'll be some property taxes generated there and the tax of property tax abatements for that ten or twenty years or maybe even more um will the the property tax payments will uh abatements will be on what's developed what's newly developed not not on the and it's, vacant land. it's worth
0: it's worth pointing out, Denise, it's not on the tax rolls right now, right?
2: It's, it's not on the because t- it's in public, you know, it's owned by the right. town. So, uh, And uh, I mean, that thousand acres is almost a third
4: of the property is uh, Denise, do you know anything about what they're supposed to be doing in terms of maintaining the grasslands? Is there any like no uh, that, framework for what that means? Well,
2: there, so here's the thing. I mean, there, there was yeah. there was a habitat protection plan that was um, prepared by the town and filed with the DEC. I think it was accepted actually by the DEC that spells that out Um, uh, other than, you know, who's gonna be responsible. That was one of the questions that came from the community. Like while the IDA owns this, before CAT can complete the subdivision, which may take a period of years, like who's gonna be responsible for that? What what does that involve? Um, And of course, then there's the interesting little factor that the, um, the Habitat Protection Plan was developed um, under regulations, this part 182 regulations that the town sued the DEC over because they didn't, um, uh, they said that they didn't follow appropriate state administrative procedure uh, law. And and the town just recently won uh, that 11 year old lawsuit. Wow. <laughs> so the court, a court nullified the, the regulations that that plan was, you know, under which that plan was prepared. So that's also in a state of flux. Oh, don't my know. God. Yeah. Yeah, no, no I, I mean, I, I, yeah,
4: I, the town's saying that, like, having a private entity managing this thousand acres of of um,
1: open space,
4: sensitive habitat is a good thing for the public. I, I, I don't. Well, I never and, and we don't even that. know if
2: it's going to be, like, accessible or open to the public in any way. Like, you know, right. will it be there for, like, hiking or anything like that? I mean, so you have, to, you have to go back in time to understand, like, how that whole thing evolved. <laughs> this may be where you want to ring the gong, Joe. I don't know. Yeah, but like, it's like <laughs> there's two river... You have to cover
4: Epcal and then you, you have to cover Riverhead itself because they're, like, two well, that's enormous what, was, things.
0: That's what <laughs> I was going to say, Beth. I, two things that come to mind. I echo Chrissy in that I'm just fascinated by Riverhead because there's so much...
4: This keeps and happening Riverhead. every time the New York Times writes, writes a story about the place <laughs> out here. Everybody's so, fascinated with it. Because there, there so was a big article in the Times last weekend. I, I'm sure Denise knows. It, yes. Yeah, it was, it was great.
1: Come, come come to Riverhead. I mean, it's it's the up and coming um, East End community.
2: <laughs> the town is suddenly well, popular. I
4: think <laughs> said that Last before. year it was Greenport, which had already been discovered, so...
0: But There's, a vibrancy, for there right now. There's I, a vibrancy I, there that's that, not, to that criticize,
1: see. not to criticize the times, but I, I, the article was great. But I, I noticed that, you know, they basically had two pictures, which was the same intersection from two different angles. Um, <laughs> that, that showed how wonderful Riverhead was. Boots
4: on the
0: ground. Boots on the ground. <laughs> but, but Denise, the second point is that, you know, it's interesting to me that a big piece of property like that, that ended up in the town's possession. I think a lot of communities would say, oh, this is a gift. This is, this is just a wonderful thing uh, that we can do so many things with. And this epic uh, on this property just demonstrates that it's just not that simple. And a lot of times it can just be a, an anchor tied around uh, the town's neck a little bit, right?
2: You know, yeah, you're absolutely right, Joe. And that actually became crystal clear to me on a a, a trip I took with uh, a couple of other reporters and the town board up to uh, Devens Air Force Base in in um, Massachusetts, Devens, Massachusetts. It was a an a bit not abandoned, but you know, an air, a former Air Force base that um, was turned over to um, local municipalities, including a county and um was redeveloped and it was um it was supposed to it was like the town board went there to see how like this can actually work you know this kind of an arrangement and um whereby you know there's redevelopment of a former military facility and you know and it does it does good things for the local community but what what became very clear to me from that little trip was that um we got this gift as you said um, without any real resources, you know, from coming from anywhere else to do what needed to be done, because there was a lot, a lot to be done here. And um, the extent of that and how ill-equipped and, and under-resourced the little town of Riverhead was to handle this, uh, which at this point should be obvious. <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, you know, was, uh, you know, it just became crystal clear to me because, you know, that. But in, in Massachusetts, there, there was a county that was a state authority. It was like they it was, they got funding from the state, you know. Riverhead how long did really it, long did it take
0: in Massachusetts to get something? Oh,
2: it took it took like, I think, the better part of a decade. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, but um, we're working That's still on a half the time. <laughs> yeah,
0: so half the time the Riverhead's taken.
2: I, um, I could go on, but I won't. So anyway, it's, it's on board yesterday. No, yesterday, Tuesday, what day? Yesterday Wednesday. <laughs> that <laughs> no, was yesterday oh my god <laughs> okay
3: actually <laughs> no town
2: board meeting <laughs> at the regular work session uh day on on thursday morning that is um the town board approved um a resolution authorizing this whole arrangement uh, authorizing the transfer to the IBA, authorizing the signing of a letter a letter agreement they called it with cat that summarizes uh what, what the whole arrangement is. And, um, they authorize this application to the IDA and now we'll see what happens. The IDA has its first meeting following this, uh, on Monday.
1: So, uh, so hopefully this, this just pushes, pushes it a little bit and takes it kind of out of limbo and, and, and either we'll, we'll move forward or the IDA will, will decide that, you know, that this isn't a good idea. Um,
2: well, I mean, one of the things here guys is that You know, the contract that Riverhead is in, uh, you know, it was subject to it it wasn't signed until the town of board determined under state law that CAT was uh, a, quote, qualified and eligible sponsor because you can't the town, the, the municipality can't sell or lease land in like a no bid transaction like that unless there's a public purpose behind it. And part of that whole examination is the determination that the, the recipient of, of this or the, the purchaser or the lessee is, is qualified and eligible to do something that's going to advance the public purpose, which in Riverhead is embodied in this urban renewal plan that the town did for the Calverton Enterprise Park, right? So um, the town had to find them qualified and eligible that was a content, you know, very controversial. Yeah. And experience. and they had that whole that whole hearing with people with uh, like supposed
4: sublecies coming in and showing off lasers and maglev and rocket. Who, yeah. And, I mean,
2: people who said they could come there, maybe if, you know, so, <laughs> I, you know, it, it was like the found, World's Fair in Riverhead. But, but, but it is like should... a torturous thing. And they finally found them qualifying eligible. But this was in, you know. November, the decision got made in November of 2018, and then uh, the supervisor at the time, Laura Jen Smith, was required to sign a contract of sale that was approved by an outgoing lame duck town board in December of 2017, <laughs> and you know, and here we are. Um, but I mean, we shouldn't under we shouldn't
0: understated Denise. If this comes to pass, the tantalizing thing here is that it has the potential to be a, a, for the whole region, a, a really significant yeah. project, right? And, it, and it does. It does. That's, what, that's what sort but, of keeps the town like, plugging the, away at this.
2: The, the threshold here though, is that like, are they qualified and eligible? Can they do this? has their situation changed since they were found qualified and eligible because of all of the issues that we know about. And, and the fact that through the process, This company refused to turn over financials to the town. So the determination that they were qualified and eligible to begin with, I would say, was kind of questionable because they never really saw their books. They got letters from their accountant saying, you know, yeah, they have the money. Like, you know, so that that hasn't changed. And so, you know, that examination of this applicant as a qualified eligible sponsor was something that is was also extremely controversial. And that decision that they were qualified and eligible which was a three to two vote at the time was extremely uh, controversial. And one thing that the current supervisor Yvette Aguiar has said is that this process that they've kind of you know cobbled together here will allow for, a ta- the idea is not a town entity, but it will allow for the financial vetting of this entity in a way that the town has not yet accomplished. And as far as my read of the contract is, they don't they don't have a right to demand financials prior to the closing under the current contract. So this is kind of a way to have that vetting happen. That's if if they don't pass muster, then according to Aguiar, you know, the deal's dead.
0: The saga but, continues. It and seems the like saga and we, continues. And I'm going to be talking about this for for a while longer. I think <laughs> when I started
2: reporting on FCal, my hair was dark brown, <laughs> 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 and it's now you know more than gray. <laughs>
0: It's going to be a topic in
2: the anyway, future,
0: too, I'm sure. So uh, this to behind,
2: gong myself.
0: <laughs> it's, it's behind the headlines on WLIW-FM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. We're with the Express News Group. And our uh, panelists today are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Chrissy Sampson of the East Hampton Star, and Beth Young of the East End Beacon. And um, so I did. We'll sort of seg into uh, a conversation about, I think it's interesting, there's a, there's a lot of planning going on locally now, uh, and some of it may be sort of emerging from the pandemic, and there was a lot of just sort of dealing with the short-term future. Uh, but I know there's there are several communities locally that are starting to look forward. Um, Southampton Village has a comp plan uh, set up that, that's coming this weekend. Uh, Christy, there's a lot going on in East Hampton Village as well, right?
3: absolutely so the village is investing a lot of resources and time and planning into Wyborgs Beach um and you know they're going to get the the potential is to really like up the upgrade the beach they're going to get bathrooms for the first time there's going to be some new amenities they're going to lose two parking spaces that shouldn't be a big deal you know so much but um you know and then so in addition to Wyborgs Beach they're um know they've got the herrick park project that they approved this week um that will see the park also upgraded and beautified um the tennis courts are going to be uh basketball courts and tennis courts are going to be moved the baseball and softball diamonds will be rearranged and um all sorts of things going on over there and i don't know if you guys saw this story in our paper last week but there could be um, a strong possibility of the sale of alcohol at Main Beach now at the beach. Um, hike. And that has gotten a lot of attention on our social media. People are kind of divided over it. Some people are like, yes. And other people are like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh,
2: imagine please. that on social media.
3: <laughs> yeah, Ooh, anybody should be surprised by that. Right. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so. Big happenings. And for the Herrick Park project in particular, you know, the other other stuff at Wyborgs is on um, the village will foot the bill for that. But at Herrick Park, the new East Hampton Village Foundation is a private nonprofit that has raised two million for the Herrick Park revamp. So wow, you that know, has the
0: potential to to really transform that piece of property, no question. Yeah.
3: What if they serve alcohol in Hurt Park? Oh, <laughs> No, 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 no. Probably not. I mean, there's probably still going to be a playground, and you know, the middle school will still be able to use the facilities because the middle school across the street doesn't really have its own. You know what I mean? Like you can see yeah. like long lines of kids for gym class um, going through the crosswalk almost every day um, when it's not raining, um, of before-
0: I'm curious, Chrissy. The the Beach project has there been a little any kickback from that? Uh, Because Wyboard Beach was always kind of the locals' beach, right? It was it was a a spot that that wasn't a big it wasn't a big um, popular destination spot for people, except that if you lived locally, you knew it was a, a spot, right?
3: Yeah, I don't think there's been. So we really only started, you know, talking about that this week. We haven't had. I don't think people are super aware of it yet. Um, they will be. Yeah, they will be. And <laughs> that's a good. You, Joe, you raise a very good question. Um, that is an accurate assessment. In you know, to my understanding of it, but um, you know, any time. That-
1: but I mean, with, with the growth in population and all that, I, I think the 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 village just needs to make sure that. That there are, you know, more amenities. The, you know, the, the, the beach passes in, in in East Hampton Village. I mean, sold out within within hours this year of of going online, and and so I think that part of this is just an effort to to kind of expand the the offerings for. Um, you know, for residents and uh, seasonal residents and and visitors, right?
3: Yeah. If you're going to pay, you know, $500 for a beach, it goes back to who's a local, of course. But like, you know, if you are going to pay $500 for a beach pass plus plus 6% online transaction fee, (laughs) because as we know, that was the only way people could purchase the beach passes this year, um, which was also how a lot of people got sort of locked out of that um, because they went on sale at midnight. And if you are an, an internet savvy night owl, you might not have had the chance to, I mean, by like, by like wow. nine o'clock or something like that, they were gone. Am I recalling that correctly, Bill? I, I
0: think like, so, yeah. It's like, like I, trying to get Beyonce tickets or something.
1: Well, I kind of kind of mirrored the uh, the the vaccinations early <laughs> on when when you you had to be, you had to know when to go online and figure that out and, you know, and all of that, so.
0: It's fascinating. And, you know, we had an express sessions event on uh, Thursday this week and and the topic was sort of the coming summer in Southampton Village and how everybody was preparing for it. But it evolved into a conversation about the fact that we had uh, Mayor Jesse Warren was on the panel and he mentioned that Southampton Village is doing its comprehensive plan update right now. And as a matter of fact, on Saturday, uh, they're having their last public Sort of gathering to, to it's sort of a charrette to gather information from the public and input on this comprehensive plan. And it's, it's interesting to me because a comprehensive plan, for those who aren't familiar with it, is both really important and powerful and really kind of an exercise that, that um, it's all about how much you, you do with it because it's supposed to set a blueprint for how the village evolves. And and the the funny thing is the last one was in 99, 2000, and it's supposed to be updated every five years. Um, It's been, you know, 22, 23 years since they had a a comprehensive plan. And I wondered aloud whether, you know, the last comprehensive plan, and this is where I get to some of the things that are happening in other communities, you know, the, the last comprehensive plan for the village made it clear that the focus was supposed to be on full-time residents and people who are maybe part-time residents who come out regularly and not tourists and, and not day trippers. And, and the whole idea is to evolve the community as a community rather than as a resort destination. I'm not sure we can continue <laughs> do to you ignore have, I,
1: I just, the reality. My, a, a question, Joe, I mean, do you do you consider Summer residents as part of that resort community, or are they are they considered village residents because they have a, a twenty million dollar house in in the village and are playing paying a lot of property taxes but um are if you're if you're catering to them, are you catering to that resort or are you can catering to to, to what you're calling year-round residents.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great part of the question, but it also right. ignores. I think the question is, what did they have in mind when they wrote the comprehensive plan in 99-2000? And if you remember then, it was a very different place. We didn't have Airbnb. We didn't have, you know, short-term rentals. Those things just didn't exist. And certainly there were no um, motel-hotel uh, proposals, and now you have Southampton Town that has allowed a property on the Shinnecock Canal, which was built with the idea of being condos, that those have now been converted into basically hotel rooms that are going to be used for uh, the the CPI property. That's really counter. To all of the planning documents in the town over the last 20 years or so, which said, again, this is not a tourist community. I think it it felt to me that the comprehensive plans back then, both at the village and the town levels, were sort of trying to set a tone that said we aren't going to turn into a resort community like we see in other areas. This is about people who live here, people who own property here part-time and come out and are residents part of part-time residents rather than transient visitors. And they tried to make that distinction. But I right. think in 2022, that distinction is is a yeah. difficult one because there's a lot of people yeah. who own property who don't live here, who rent their properties out now right. on a short-term basis. Well, it's just the reality
4: we're living in a much more transient world. That's a, it's a problem exactly. the world over. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I mean, okay. Beth, you've been, you've been around to to view the planning processes uh, over the years. And, and yeah. I, I think that, that we're at sort of, when you're, when you have so many communities entering that planning process now, the reality is just a different reality now. And I think if we ignore that, uh, I'm not sure yeah. that's that's to our detriment.
4: And by the time you finish a comprehensive plan process, uh, th- everything on the ground has changed. I mean, Southold had their vision vision 2020 that they started in 2010 and they just finished it. And now it's like completely outdated. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I think Shelter Island's in the middle of the comp
0: plan. Um, yeah, Denise, I believe yeah. Riverhead is is starting strategic planning, right?
2: They got to spend uh, that money <laughs> <laughs> well that's specific to downtown yeah, yeah. um mm-hmm. so the, the, the te- that's a that's actually um kind of like assembled by a committee that was assembled by the state department of state and the re- through the regional economic development council for uh the the town was awarded a ten million dollar downtown revitalization initiative grant which you know is a fantastic thing um and so they've uh had their first um, strategic public strategic planning meeting um and public participation session i should say on um earlier this week was that monday uh, yeah <laughs> okay
0: did they, yeah. Of, <laughs> did they have a lot of participation
2: um, you, you know say, sadly uh i would say not really um the most of the people are about 30 32 people in the audience and um They and some on Zoom and um, most of the people in the audience were involved in the process. They were either members of the um, Strategic Planning Committee, which is the local planning committee or um, people involved in development and town government and that kind of thing. There were, I would say, like a handful of of local residents in in the audience and on Zoom. who were participating of course i couldn't really see how many people were watching on zoom so I, yeah. I really can't say that but in terms of people who spoke up um and the local planning committee itself doesn't really have uh downtown any downtown residents uh on it um mm. so i yeah. i don't i'm not sure how i, I feel about that but i, I, I I,
4: Denise, I'd, I'd love your feeling. I mean, you might be too close to it, but uh, well, can seem to keep coming up over and over again. Was about is downtown safe to walk around? And I know, like sometimes things happen, people get mugged or whatever. Uh, um, I I don't know. I mean, my son grew up going downtown, Riverhead, going to school, going there after school, going to the library, going to East End Arts for for music lessons. Um, you know, hanging out at the little um, magic store that's now crafted, and um, mm. uh, I, 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 and I, I, when I was a kid, I, I spent a lot of time in downtown Riverhead, and I feel like it's a lot safer than it was when I was a kid, and the perception hasn't really caught up with it.
2: The perception has historically been uh, bad, yeah. uh, much worse than the reality. I yeah. Mean, I remember when I was on the town board uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, and we got like the police reported every day. And there was like, you know, I, I I don't I like never understood why people were always saying, you know, including like most local people, like, you know, my, my husband's family members were like, oh, town, it got so bad. I mean, certainly once there were a lot of vacant buildings, <clears throat> you know, when you walk along Main Street, I would watch mm-hmm. people leave the aquarium with their stroller, you know, and walk along Main Street and head west. And like, there was a stretch of like all these vacant buildings. And, you know, they would like turn around (laughs) and and head back to their car. You know, that's that's not good. Um, But I think perception is a lot worse than reality. And that was something that came up at this meeting um, Monday night. Uh, people kept, you know, have raised that over and over again. That you know, well, security, I mean, safety.
1: I think you've got a, a lot of new housing going in downtown Riverhead too, and and I think as as those fill up and there are more uh, Main Street residents that are out and about, maybe that perception um, changes a I, little.
2: Bit. You know, I, I'd like to say this, and I don't. I, maybe this is my own, like you know, bias alert or whatever. My own, my own bias, but I, I feel like. You know, the people who are generally raising the issue of safety and security, they're usually, you know, um, white people, a lot of whom live not live outside of downtown, want to come there to go to restaurants or whatever the theater. And I feel like a lot of they equate seeing people with brown and black skin yeah. on the streets as, a, you know, making it a safety hazard, a dangerous place, et cetera. I feel like that's just a reality. That Their discomfort
0: people... may not be rooted in the reality of, of, yeah. of yeah. actual I, I, danger. Yeah.
2: And, and I mean, that's not to say crimes don't happen in Riverhead downtown and they happen in other plenty of other places in Riverhead. I mean, you know, there were a couple of commercial burglaries on Route 58 this week, um, you know, uh, if they if that had happened downtown, it would be like, you know, the hordes of people on Facebook saying, oh, downtown. <laughs> it's right. And, and I don't think it's really much worse. I haven't really looked at the data from Southampton town police, but like, you know, it's really not much worse. If it is worse at all than uh, all the other towns around. I mean, it's like the same yeah. level of of things. And um you know, I I don't I don't know, but that is unfortunately yeah. the perception, and people, and so the town has to take measures, you know, like it or not, to battle that perception. I think, <laughs> and yeah. I, you know, I think personally, I think one thing that can be done is they can light up the streets a little bit better, like yeah. you know, uh, right. especially the streets that they want people to walk along to go to parking and stuff. Like, you know, if you if you walk on West Main Street and you know head north on Griffin Avenue toward the where they're talking about building a public parking garage now in the corner of uh, Griffin and, mm-hmm. and Railroad. Um,
0: yeah, I will say this, know, Denise, in, in the coming abandoned. years, in the coming years, th- there's right. going to be a lot more people in downtown Riverhead on, an, on a constant yeah. basis with all of the housing right. that's going up. And it's it's I mean, I think that the planning process, You know, just to get back to the to the topic at hand, is I think in a lot of these communities are starting this planning process to try and deal with some of the impacts that we've felt over the last um, five to 10 years and, and how the communities have, have really changed. And in case of Riverhead and some other places they're, how they're going to be changing uh, coming up soon. And, and setting these planning documents uh, is important but I think it's also about following through on, on what they recommend. And, and there's, there's a lot of energy that goes into sort of writing comprehensive plans but, uh we found that the proof the proof is in how you follow them
1: right
2: and 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 the town of Riverhead is simultaneously because there's not enough going on they're um, <laughs> doing a comprehensive plan update. i mean it's all it's overdue. I mean that was last one was last done and uh, adopted in two thousand three. so
0: see, there you, you know. go. everybody's way behind
2: on that. <laughs> planning, um, planning. yeah and so and
0: and um Beth in southhold there's there's a conversation about a justice court right they want to build a new building
4: um well uh it's become kind of a a, a little bit of a hot potato um as things do, um, but um, yeah, uh, well, uh, like a lot of a lot of local justice courts out here um, don't really have the facilities that the state office of court administration wishes they had, like private space for attorneys to to talk with their clients and whatnot. So the South Southall Justice Court meets two days in a week it's in the same room as the town board meeting room, um, and also like occasionally. Uh, town board meetings get interrupted for arrangements. So all right? the people who are yeah, so all the people who are sitting in there going to the town board meeting have to file out of the room. And um, let the bring take somebody plates. in in
1: handcuffs. <laughs> well, that, well, that's, um, that's small town life. I love <laughs> and it.
4: And was, it's was kind of funny because my, my, my boyfriend was at a, a recent town board meeting where this happened. And it really doesn't happen that often. I've seen it happen maybe three times in 10 years. I and mean, that's what I've seen. Um, but um but he, he said he felt really bad that these people in handcuffs had to, you know, walk past the town, all the whole town board laughing and, and joking and like and eating an sandwiches. There's an
1: audience there.
4: And uh, and, but like uh, you know, re, they they start talking about it the next week, and the town board members are like, Wow, that really wasn't safe for the public to have those people in handcuffs there. And my boyfriend was like, They're in handcuffs, they're surrounded <laughs> by police officers, they look mortified. Like, so so I mean. The thing is, though, I mean, like this old joke, there is no crime in Southfold, But I mean, they're talking about building a six million dollar justice court um, in Piconic wow. in the middle of nowhere. Um, the prices for any kind of construction. I don't know if anybody's gotten any quotes for anything out of this world. Insane. Um, uh, but that's a whole nother topic. Um, but the town two years uh I'm sorry, four years ago bought this old bank building in the middle of Southold and they were going to use it for a justice court and they found out it would cost almost 20 million dollars to renovate it oh my for gosh. use as a justice court. Um so the prices of everything have gone crazy. Their facilities are kind of um in in really big need of updating. Um, and, uh, and the price of everything is through the roof, but uh, the public really doesn't think that $6 million for a justice court that meets two days a week is uh, a good investment.
0: Um, I would think there's a lot of folks up there who are saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? I mean, yeah. if, if it's just a couple of times, you know, if you've got the facility there, um, I can see the argument, but at the same time, that is not optimal when you're using the yeah. same space for, for meetings and, and for arraignments.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's true, not even yeah. just arraignments, too. I mean, it's it's all their court proceedings. I mean, the yeah. justice court offices are housed in a trailer that's, a you know, kind of attached to the back of the town hall building. And people that, you know, the judges and, and staff enter the town board meeting room through, you know, from that trailer to conduct the court. Um, how do you I mean, how do they have a trial it's like right. There. Like, you know, like trials are not generally just like, okay, well, on Tuesday or, you know, Mondays and Wednesdays, like when you start a trial, you you know, it usually continues. Uh, (laughs) I mean, it doesn't happen that often, but when it does, it's a problem. But, you know, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know. So that's, um, you know, Riverhead's in a similar situation with its Justice Court facilities. um, And, um, you know, there's no,
4: I mean, that's one um, thing that did solutions. come up in Southall was like in Riverhead. The Justice Court is part of the police station and it's like the same building. And it's there's it's way way overcrowded. I mean, yeah, there's gorgeous. a line out the door to get yeah. into Justice yeah. Court. People on, yeah, on Monday were are lined up and people who need the police are walking in the same door. So it's just that does that doesn't work either. That's yeah. interesting. And yeah, and not to give back to Riverhead, but I mean, the, there was talk about using the old armory building.
2: Well, I mean, the, the town term. got the town got the state yeah. to uh, transfer the old armory building. People keep the giving town. Riverhead white elephants. It's by the way. But you know, it's, it's, it's um they got that they got that transfer to the town specifically for development as a, a police station justice court complex. But the cost of getting it done has been more than the town had an appetite to spend. And so it's basically sitting there like as a storage building, more or less. And, uh, you know, they're using the parking lot to store impounded vehicles that the the police. So it's like, uh, you know, not not the best use of property on on Route 58, for sure. Um, But but it's kind of
4: fire drills there. Yeah.
0: There's kind of a theme starting here with some of these stories about Riverhead getting stuff and not, you know, having having a gift horse is not necessarily something you uh, you want necessarily. It costs
2: money to it costs money to uh, do things with. So, you know,
0: yeah. It's behind the headlines on WLAWFM. I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. Uh, Our panelists are Denise Civiletti of Riverhead Local, Chrissy Sampson from the East Hampton Star, and Beth Young of the East End Beacon. Um, Chrissy, let's move east a little bit. I want to talk, there was a new development this week in the ongoing battle over beach access in East Hampton, and the fishermen and the town trustees joined up to uh, go back to court to try and uh, take this fight up again, right?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So um, the way that so there was a press conference at the beach. So, you know, everybody calls it Chuck beach. Um, it's at the end of Napi Lane, and um, the trustees and their attorney and some of the fishermen um, held a press conference there last Sunday to basically say, hey, we don't want to get pushed around anymore. We're going to be the plaintiffs now instead of the defendants. And, you know, we're going to push this. Um, basically, they want to prove that um, the reservation they called it the Benson Reservation, right? Um, centuries ago, when they um, this they, was the
0: basically the the deed documents from mm-hmm. the eighteen hundreds, right? I'm, yeah, from the eighteen be hundreds.
3: So um, that established that you know established the right for uh, people to fish on the beach and to use the conveyances necessary to do so, which at the time were like carts and you know horse drawn carts horse drawn carts right and so bill taylor who's one of the trustees um said this week the truck is like just a technological ad- advance of a horse drawn cart you know cuz you know they didn't have trucks in like 1885 or whatever it was you know what i mean so that's their stipulation they want the court to clarify the reservation Um, and which which
1: would be called an easement today. Right. I mean, if it was on feed today, just to clarify for the
3: right. So, um, that's their, that's their statement. You know, the attorney Daniel Rogers is saying, you know, this has never been about, um, you know, fishermen and trucks. This is about money
0: Hmm. because
3: they want to preserve their property values. They want to, you know what I mean? Like, so that's his statement. Um, the, our headline was hitting back with a lawsuit of their own. Mm. Um, and, you know, and like just like in, you know, the other municipal cases, like this has been at least 13 years in the making.
1: Right. Mm-hmm.
3: You know, and so um, the the plaintiffs in this case include um, 12 fishermen, including one recreational fisherman and 11 of the 14 who were charged with trespassing. Several months ago, when they were protesting that court ruling, that- yeah, I
0: mean the whole the whole argument here is basically that the homeowners, um, the courts have, have said that they essentially own the beach. That's mm-hmm. the most recent the most recent ruling, and that sort of goes against uh, a long history on the East End where fishermen have access to all of the beaches. But I, I I'm just I am so fascinated by this because of the fact that it's about trying to interpret the law that was written back in the 1800s for the modern day. And it sort of has echoes in the whole idea of the originalist read of the U.S. Constitution. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a, there's a we, we sort of need to come, it's funny because the country is now getting old enough that we're gonna, we're gonna need to start coming to terms with the idea that a lot of our laws were written at a time that never foresaw the technology that we have that never foresaw uh the changing um social needs of the country and and this is just sort of like a microcosm of that 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 the idea that fishermen should be able to access the beach was written into that deed but should they be allowed to drive london beach with a truck uh which is a very
1: different and not, thing well and, and what constitutes and it's not just
4: fishermen that use it yeah but, that's
1: well, the other thing but what constitute a fisherman if? If if the if the families that used to go to truck beach and their SUVs stick a fishing pole out the back window and go with their picnic benches and picnic tables and and spend the day on the beach and say that they're fishermen because they have the fishing pole out the window, is, is that, you know, and, and that's the counter argument to that. And I'm not and I'm not taking the side of of the homeowners here, but but I think that Um, the courts are going to need to be very clear and not only whether trucks are allowed for commercial fishermen, um, but what constitutes a, a fisherman, um, in, in, in the first place.
3: And they're, um, what they're, they're expecting this to be, you know, the attorney, Mr. Rogers saying he expects this to be a historic case. He expects it to go to trial. Um, and Yeah it's
0: Christy, the courts have not been very good to this argument though right no. um no. The, the courts in in recent rulings have sort of chipped away at what was always sort of a rock solid reading of the dongan patent and allows mm-hmm. this this access and and the courts have in recent rulings been sort of calling that into question right
3: yeah and you know they're worried they're worried about setting a precedent yeah you know like for other homeowners, other home homeowners, homeowners associations and different groups that have or people who have beachfront property, you know, it this has that potential.
1: The, 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 at the same time, though the other courts were 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 um firm in leaving that reservation in in their last um decision, even though it was argued that it should be removed. Um they they continued to uphold that reservation, which said that fishermen should uh, commercial fishermen, you know, anyway, should be should be allowed on on the beach. So, so I think there's some uh, glimmer of hope there.
0: And again, just to clarify, Chrissy, that the the way they they believe that they should be able to land on the beach in a boat, they should be able to spread nets out on the beach. They should be able to access the beach with basically horse drawn carts. But that's pretty much the extent that the courts right now. Um are allowing access. Is that that's a fair read, right? I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think we've got to get this clarified moving forward, but it doesn't resolve the situation in any way.
4: And Let's another start a nonprofit to give a horse to every
0: fisherman.
3: <laughs> <There you go. laughs> but, what, but what are the environmental impacts of having horses was... on the beach? Just about to actually say, like, yeah. you know, in terms <laughs> of like sand, sand <laughs> replenishment or like, you know, coastal erosion, like. What's also that going to mean a, in years anyway?
0: You're going to need a lot of big diapers, I think, too, if you if you mm-hmm. do that. That's going to be the only way to keep the beaches clean. So.
3: <laughs> Sadly, we're going
0: to have to end it there. That is not <laughs> where I wanted to end this conversation, but we are out of time. You might be
2: appropriate, uh, <laughs> though.
0: <I don't> <laughs> Thank you for a very lively conversation this week. Uh, to Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local, uh, Chrissy Sampson from the East Hampton Star, And Beth Young from the East End Beacon, you guys are great. Thank you for being with us this week.
2: Thanks for having us. Thank you.
0: Bill, Bill, uh, thanks for co-hosting. And uh, we will be back next week with Behind the Headlines.